Hello and welcome back to Often Wrong, Never in Doubt with Montgomery West. I'm your host, Montgomery West, and today I am joined by some lovely friends. We have Angelina and Graham today. Um, hi, guys. How are we doing? Um, Hello. Before we continue, okay, before we continue I just want to say shout out to the 13 listeners. And I'm just going to assume that if anyone's coming back, thank you for coming back. Yeah, we can give Dang. a little round of applause for anyone Woo! that started this after amazingly getting through the past 28 minutes that of me just talking to myself about nonsense. Hopefully we're not going to talk about nonsense and hopefully the Zoom meeting doesn't end in 30 minutes because I can't remember if we have 40 minutes or longer than that. So yeah. How are you guys today? Good. I... I forgot who, what teacher I had, but they were like, oh, uh, for computer art, there were like eight more weeks, eight more weeks, and then you're done. I was like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, we're done, done. I have been, I have been stressed not at all about leaving high school, simply about college for the last couple hours. Like, as oh, in deciding I'll... on where to go or actual? Okay. Yes, yes, as in deciding on okay, where me, to go. Okay, I'm in the same boat. What is your personal, what are you, what are your qualms right now? My personal issues are mostly finances, and then those finances are subdivided with some other stuff. We got one UW, which is the school I would like mm-hmm. to go to. But if I want to go to UW, I'm going to end up about $100,000 mm-hmm. in debt. That's a lot of money. Not sure if I can swing that. My family agrees. Other than that, I got into Santa Cruz, which very mm-hmm. happy about. Like, that's great. And I think I'd like Santa Cruz, but I feel like I would like the other school I got into more, which is Evergreen. But Evergreen is both less prestigious than Santa Cruz and slightly more expensive. So also, I feel it'll bad be associated going there. with the fucking boat from now on. That's true. <laughs> That's true. That. that is think very I true. That. Which I think could be a plus, really, if we're being honest. I think the boat school. I think they could spin that. Could you imagine <laughs> if, if like, I don't know if this will happen, but like you have that on your resume that you went to Evergreen and people are like, you mean the cargo the ship? I'm like, yeah, I was actually, I was on it, guys. <laughs> I graduated <laughs> from the cargo ship that collapsed capitalism for a few days. But yeah, so that is, I feel like that's a pretty relatable college outcome. And anyone that I feel like I'm lucky enough that like, I don't have quite the same problem, but at the same time, it's like, you know, there's, even, even if you throw aside finances, there's just the aspect of college that is like, at the end of the day, you are paying, you're usually going into debt for something for your resume, really, at the end of the day, that's what it yeah, is. Exactly, exactly. So you want to make sure also, it's the right thing to have on your resume. Exactly. Especially if you're pursuing the arts, which, Graham, I can only assume it's something involving history or politics. Yeah. Spot on, spot on, uh, yeah. Which, you know... Obviously, I could. If you had asked me that freshman year, I would have the same exact answer, um, which is I commend you for because, like, I really sometimes am like, is this a horrible, horrible mistake that I'm making pursuing the arts? Um, but then I'm like, okay, well, I went to this school and I like studied this for so long. Like, why, why go back now if it's like what I want to do? But then I'm also like, what if? going to this one school like my path would lead to success whereas like even though like I think I'm gonna go to NYU the more obvious choice like what if 
I don't, I am not successful, but if I had just gone to this school, then I would have been like a famous actress, you know? And there's right. like, wait, that's know. sort of what I'm deciding between in a sense of uh, my, e I'm sort of dealing with my ego here. My two choices are would be NYU Tisch or um, University of the Arts London. And the thing about going to London is that the program I already know, design, media, or screen is what I'd be doing in my freshman year. That's already more in my comfort zone. Like I kind of already spent the past six months applying to art colleges, assuming that like for the next four years, I'm going to be like preparing to be some sort of like graphic designer or like doing printmaking or continuing to do fine studio art in a way that I could like very frictionlessly transition into eventually being a creative director. But what um, has sort of challenged me with making that decision is the fact that the program at Tisch I got into, collaborative arts is like everything but what I'm comfortable with. Like there isn't just like a studio drawing class or graphic design class that is involved in the major there's like interactive media and there's stuff that involves like visual sensibilities because there's like film and there's also like screenwriting and then acting and then dancing. And so it's basically like everything offered at Tisch into one thing. That's sort of my understanding. And with that, I'm just sort of deciding between like, am I willing, like on an ego basis, am I willing to be, allow myself to be a beginner in things? Because I feel like I've gone 12 years being like an established visual artist. And I'm like, oh yeah, most people like that don't go to soda, like real, like most people around the country know that like college is still for discovering what you want to do after college. But because we went to soda, I feel like a lot of us have just unknowingly like boxed ourselves in or like thought of ourselves as failures if we don't like pursue what we're doing in high school, I guess. So it's interesting to hear different people's like relationship to their art. Cause like for you, Graham, I mean, it's obviously less of an attachment because that's not what you're pursuing after. Yeah, no, I mean, I had a lot of fun in musical theater. I really did. I've done it for a lot of my life in like school stuff, school settings. And I'm really happy I went to Stoda, but then another, but like I, yeah, no, it's just not the career I want to pursue. Yeah. I just think that, and I know this is the case for like, unfortunately a lot of kids in MT, but our experience in the department was like so taxing that it almost, it essentially made us hate musical theater. And like, um, for more reasons than that, I'm not going to be studying musical theater. I'm studying like regular theater. Um, but, and I wonder if any other kids in other departments experience this too, or if it's just because musical theater as a department has been so demanding and like dramatic um, that like, they just hate their art now that they've spent years working on and then just to have it all Ruined. Yeah, I think in visual, we talked a little bit, we've reflected with Fonowitz a little bit about how not necessarily like our appreciation of visual arts is diminished from going to soda for that. It's more so that the work ethic has changed. Like we recently were able to go to a freshman visual class to look at what they're doing and they are far better than any of us. Like even now, like most of us um, prepared to like show them like what we're up to thinking we would be like super inspiring and amazing to them. And even though that they did act like that, it was kind of embarrassing to show like what I had been doing for the past six months when I was seeing these like very technically phenomenal 13, 14 year olds kind of pulling the same, pulling like stuff beyond like what I was doing at that age. So like a lot of people after that realized like, oh yeah, having art assignments that aren't based 
like that don't operate on my own like imagination per se like doing a still life of like flowers and stuff like that that I find in the cabinet like that kind of does shoot down your motivation to like draw for fun because I would assume maybe it's similar for musical theater related things like in middle school there's like or like as a child there's less pressure to like sing and act and do theater but then when you have to like oh my entire identity here is like can I do the musical like I would imagine that's like annoying it's especially interesting because well two things interesting because you don't really have class with the freshmen but in musical theater it's like we're all together all the like it's very inter I don't know the word I'm looking yeah there's a lot of grade crossover I also don't know the word (laughs) but something that is like interesting building off of what you just said is that the freshmen this year in MT don't have the same department head that we had our freshman year and like Graham I wanted to bring this up because I don't know if you remember this um and also it's partly just like studying theater for like such a long time but I just remember like it was very clear at the beginning of our high school careers that our director saw us as these archetypes, as these people, and that he wanted us to fulfill, you know, like, oh, you're the like heartthrob, you're so handsome, everyone loves you, or like, you're the brainiac. And it's like, you know, we're not one dimensional movie characters, we're people. And that's like been honestly the toughest thing that I've struggled with all four years is like, who am I when you're playing characters constantly and and you're expected to be this um, marketable character, but you're not a character, you're a person, you know? I think I think that's definitely a thing, especially within the art, the performing arts departments, a, a sort of like typecasting in your everyday life, sort of based on how you're viewed for like theater purposes. And I think that happens too in like broader, like outside theater senses, like auditioning and whatnot. Because obviously you're going to be typecast in those too, but like it's certainly weird to go to a school where there is such an emphasis on your art if your art is performing. Because there's sort of a very fine line between always performing and like being a, a, a unique person in how you're viewed. I feel like people start to embody how they're typecasted, or if they're led to believe a certain thing. Like I can think of someone in your department um that for example I think has totally embodied maybe what like Ron has sort of groomed him to be in a way that is like kind of destructive to developing any type of self-awareness but that's all I'm gonna say on that I guess hard because my typecast was like bitch I don't know if I but like (laughs) it's just like you know it's like when you're like burdened with being the mean girl. And then it's like, all you want to do is, you know, yeah, you want your director to like you. It's made very clear that your director can like make or break your career, which to an extent is not actually true. But But in high school, school, every little thing matters, every little role and solo. And so you, like I did be, I genuinely was like a mean person. Like I carried that like with me, like negativity. And then after, like, he was fired, and after, like, you know, I was like, whoa, hold up, like, this is not, none of this is, like, real. I was like, this is not at all who I want to be or truly, like, am. Well, because then I'm assuming, like, because you're continuing to pursue acting in college and hopefully, like, outside of it, too, is that 
then you like lack confidence when you're looking at roles that are outside this bitchy archetype, I would assume, just because you're sort of like, well, I was told that like, or I was never encouraged to do something outside of this. So I'd rather not fail. And then you just sort of like are in this cycle of like, I'm in a lot of pain pretending to be this person, but I'm scared that I will never be marketable. I know that a lot of people, not just artists experience this, but you know, like concern about how one is being perceived and that's like also probably a really big thing among people our age right now is like how who am I going to be in high school I mean college who am I what kind of person am I going to be um and I think that especially being like a theater major I'm like really struggling with that because I'm like I just want to be my authentic self but I don't know who that is but I want to be someone because I know that directors typically are looking for a type of person Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, I feel like we've are okay. Going to a magnet school has sort of distorted most of our perceptions of like where we're supposed to be in life in terms of like finding something you're interested in. Cause I'm pretty sure most people don't have, don't find their interest. If they, if they even find it in high school, like they don't really find it until after college or like during college. And so to already be like, preparing for your career thinking about applying to college and then then you're going to college and you're like oh wait like this is for fun this is for my own enrichment and that's one and one reason why I think I'm leaning towards NYU at this point is because even though like I would be taking enriching classes in London I think they would all be so oriented towards like career and like vocational stuff of like specifically what it's like to be an art director, which is something I eventually want to do. But I feel like, cause they all seem super oriented around knowing the skills to get a job, which is valuable. But I realized like for a college experience, I might want something more where I'm looking at the NYU website and I see that they have like a Marxism in visuals type of like class that I could take for my arts and public policy requirement that's the type of stuff where I feel like college, that's what it's for. But because we've gone to such a, like, cause we went to an art school, we're all sort of to a certain degree, depending on your personality type, kind of thinking about like, well, I have to continue this like career pathway for myself that I've set up. Cause I don't think I'm good at anything else. I don't know. I think that's, I think that's really accurate. And I think you're really hitting the nail on the head there you go nail on the head for the whole like soda is sort of like a very weird pre-college experience because I feel like in soda you depending on what department you're in but like I can only speak for musical theater your life even if you're not going to go on in whatever department you are in in the school in the school you are taught how to then live the life of someone perform like going on in that and so at the end of soda I feel like most kids feel at least somewhat prepared to like, well, I could probably do this, which is not how you're generally supposed to be after high school. You know what I mean? Most people aren't out of high school, like, ah, yes, time to be a biologist. But most people out of soda are like, all right, we're going to do dance. We're going to go orchestral music, whatever, like all that stuff. And I think it's a very weird experience for soda kids to have to like process. Because you see your friends around you to a varying degree, either succumbing to that or people who completely reject it. And when you're kind of in between, when you have, when you're, when it's August, September, and you're applying to college in your senior year, that's when it feels like you have to make this choice between I'm going to throw, like, I don't know, for me, I felt like my choice was like, am I going to throw away all my progress? I'm putting this in quotes. I forgot it's a podcast. Um, But (laughs) if you're just like throwing everything away, then you feel like, oh my God, what was I doing here? 
But then if you completely go down your artistic path, you're like, am I just doing like what I think I should do? And then when you're writing all your essays and stuff, that's when I feel like the most, that's for me, I think when the most reflection has happened over the course of like the last year of kind of being inside quarantine, like it was honestly mostly the college application process for me that did the heavy lifting of like, who am I? I don't know. When you're forced to write a common app essay with those like very thick prompts, I feel like that actually does the job usually. Actually, like if I could, I don't know how to phrase this, but like I would love to know just like what everybody wrote about for their call for their like personal essays. Like I almost made it a TikTok and which is really interesting how Oh, one of those like video prompt ones. Like, what did no, you like, write for your comment? Like, comment <laughs> like the because I have always known what I was gonna write about for my college essay since I was like little, and I'm sure that um, a lot of other people of color wrote about the fact that they're people of color um, and like how that has like affected them. But like, I don't know. I just I think that it's such an interesting like insight into who like who you are and what you've experienced and I would like love to know that about like everybody even though it's like kind of a really personal thing um I mean do you talk about yours what did you write about Graham I wrote about and I was inspired from this from a friend of mine who was sort of viewing the life her life through how she um like went about having her hair she's another person of color like whether it was straightened or, or curly or all that stuff and so I also went through it because a different friend, I pretty much thought about different things my friends had thought about. And then I was like, huh, none of that applies to me. What am I going to do? And then I decided to write and I did a little cheeky pun at the front, essentially, which worked out better than I thought. But essentially, I wrote an uh, essay through the frame of what glasses I was wearing at mm. the time, because I didn't have glasses until early elementary school. And it also every time I've switched either glasses or contacts or back to glasses or that sort of stuff it sort of correlated with a different time in my life and like a different personality, not personality, that, but like, it's very, cause like when I was little and I didn't have glasses, I was very like sporty and I hung out with a lot of like the cool kindergartners, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that sort of stuff. Okay, cool when I had to, when I had to get glasses in like later elementary school, I sort of just became like the very smart, like nerdy kid, which, you know, and then that sort of <laughs> translated through to middle school. But then when I was going for soda and I started doing more performances, I started wearing more contacts and all that stuff. And so for most of soda, I've worn contacts. But then when Zoom hit, I was like, there's no way in hell I'm putting contacts on before I turn on my Zoom camera back when we had to turn on our cameras. So I'm just, I'm screwed. We're going back to glasses. Um, and I just, it worked well enough, apparently. But uh, it was, a, and then through it, I've talked about different stuff in my life, but it was all through like an overarching lens of like, what I looked like. That's really cool. I like that because it ties everything together with like some good visual imagery, some symbolism, but then it's also just from a writing perspective, probably a lot easier to think of your life through like defining character archetypes of yourself. Um, Because for me, I was, wait, which prompts did you guys, do you guys remember like what your prompt was about? Um, Oof, I don't I don't even remember mine I think it was I, I actually could I not even tell like, you what's one but, thing that you think your application would be missing without like telling us I think that might have been my no uh, mine was something like it doesn't really matter but I'm pretty sure the theme of the question was like 
when you like learned something about yourself or you like changed something well, I don't know each well, other, mine was right the- I have like a vague memory of us reading each oh I definitely read yours I know what yours I is remember, about if you want to I like, remember share. reading yours and being like oh my god I gotta start over like I was like I'm not getting into college really? yeah well, we both got into Tish, so that says something. Yeah, I read yours, Angelina. I feel like I read your, I read yours, and I don't know why Honestly, I feel that I way. Feel like I think you, it's somewhere. Hers is that good. It feels like a short film, um, actually. I just, I went to my most, like, I don't know. I feel like you guys are very smart, <laughs> composed. Like, I don't know. You guys always know, I feel like, what to say. And I think that you both read mine um because I just was like I need to know if I like do I just sound like this like brown girl like meh 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 my life is so hard or like if it actually means but like none of the tonality of your word choice felt like it was I want people to read this and feel bad that I'm brown (laughs) like the tone was very much it was because it was an it was a personal like story and it was also about in a way I don't know if I read it this way if I read it wrong but like to me it spoke to me about your relationship with the world and then your relationship with your mother in a way that didn't feel like a just like I'm an outcast type of story because those are pretty obviously annoying when you read them but when I read yours I was like oh this is great like I don't know Mine was about, I think you read mine, right? Okay, so it was about circus, specifically this one performance from earlier in high school where me and my juggling partner, we both messed up on stage really badly. Like, I'm pretty sure one of us misplaced. We had two sets of juggling balls. We misplaced them on stage. So we were standing, like, opposite of each other, like, across the stage. Lights are, like, bright, and we're, like, fuck what are we gonna do and so we start like mouthing to each other like what are we doing like basically yelling silently yelling at each other like how are we gonna finish the rest of the act we've done two of our like we've done literally 30 seconds or less of choreography what are we gonna do and so it ended up just devolving into us like throwing the juggling balls at each other trying to just make sure that we could both end up with each end up with three like we're supposed to and finish the act so that's what happened. And in the moment, it was really demoralizing. Immoralizing? Demoralizing. Demoralizing, I think. Thank yeah. you. Okay. Um, yeah, because when you're performing and something like that happens where it feels like it was in your control, but at the end of the day, it's not in your control because it's like a prop. It's not like you're acting. Um, in the moment, I was like mortified. And so I think my whole essay was more about like, that was just a moment for me where I kind of kind of was introduced the idea of humility because before that performing had been a space where I was it it is socially acceptable on stage to pretend you're a god especially if you're doing circus because it's something that most people can't already do so it it like helped me to like be like accept the fact that like I'm not always in control of like my image I think something like that I don't know but I'm pretty sure honestly like I'm pretty sure writing about circus to any capacity, like I knew since like seventh or eighth grade, like, oh yeah, I think colleges will appreciate this. Even if it sounds stupid, I think just most colleges don't get people that do that type of thing, which may sound kind of like annoying to say, I guess, but like, I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's like, I'm going to milk this one way or another. I don't know how yet. 
and I figured it out. I think colleges really appreciate people taking risks with like, not necessarily with the Common App, but the Common App, I'd say write something that like is acknowledged as good by like most people. But like whenever colleges ask you to write those weird little college specific essays, like and obviously to be clear, I didn't get into this school, but I did get waitlisted at Chicago, University of Chicago, which I was really happy about. Uh, and the essay I wrote for them, they were like, write us something out of the box. And I wrote them an essay on why you would root for the Rebel Alliance, but not Al-Qaeda if they functionally did the same thing. Uh, and that worked. So that, that is I'm the just- That is the essay choice oh of like position that I've ever heard. That's I, I was like, I'm so, so when one guy blows more. up a Wait, big building, that's an issue. So essentially, my initial argument was I just laid out what happened when the Death Star blows up. I was like, you know, a bunch of like a rebel group detonates this huge building. I was like, literally a million people die at the Death Star staff. I was like, and I was like in the audience all cheers. And I was like, but you wouldn't cheer for when they blew up the Twin Towers and you wouldn't cheer for other, you know, I just listed different examples of terrorism. And then essentially I wrote like a, two-page essay about like why our morals are the way they are and why Americans view certain things as justified and certain things as terrorism and it was really fun because I kept tying it back to Star Wars which was entertaining and I remember I only gave it to like two people to read before I submitted it and one of them was EJ and EJ goes well Graham this is a piece of shit essay he goes and it's so good it might work I was like thank you EJ he was like you're insane Speaking of Star Wars, though, I'm really glad you brought it up because apparently Angelina has led me to believe that she watched all of them for the first time. I watched the first, the or not the first episode, the fourth one technically. Sure. I had this whole conversation. You can just call them by their numbers. Like at Quinn at Quinn's house, like years and years ago. Right, I remember that. (laughs) All the uh, in our grade in the ensemble came and watched it but I couldn't it was always one of those things where it's like if you have like an assigned reading or if you're like trying to read a book and you it's not like like going through like you cannot conceptualize it until you have to reread the page over and over again and you're like why don't any of these words make sense to me that's how I always felt about Star Wars like like they were all words separately I knew like commander and like ship and like you know like these things but then when you put them on a sentence I would like like I was like I have to start over but I rewatched or not rewatched I watched them all like over spring break ish because Graham sent me like the entire yeah. list okay but what order do you do because I think the supreme order is four five one two three six so that you get four and five and at the end of five you like learn who Darth Vader is and you know his relationship to Luke. And so then you're like, who the fuck is Darth Vader? And then you watch the prequels, the mm. best piece now of that's media ever, take. in my opinion. And then you watch the prequels, and then you watch episode six, because at the end, then you already know who Anakin... Imagine watching episode six and already knowing everything about Anakin, basically. I think that would Star be interesting. Star Wars is such a big part of like American culture, I feel like, that... I already knew those things to begin with, even though I had like absolutely no knowledge about it. Also, I'm glad Graham brought brought this up because I wanted to hear your guys' opinion on this because I'm sure I'm not the first person to say this, but did Padme not groom Anakin? Like, is that not what happened? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. 
That's oh, absolutely. Awful. Without a question. With Okay, but here's the, the sticky part about the politics of their relationship is that when they meet in episode... Oh. Ooh, look at that. Ooh, they removed a sorry running out of time. We've removed the 40 time limit on your group meeting. Love, love, love it. See it. They're a fan so, of the show. I was getting really into this. Okay, so because in episode one, Anakin is nine and she she's is 13. Yeah, that's, no, she's that's 13. Something she's there's 13, a lot of also 13. problematic stuff with how Padme is treated being a 13. Okay, okay. Let me <laughs> no, totally, totally separate yep. but related. But okay, so he's a nine-year-old boy and she's 13. Totally makes sense that he's like, oh my god, this is the most beautiful woman in on the planet, because the only other woman he's ever seen is his mother. And she's kind of, like, nice to him in the way that when you're 13, it's kind of like, okay, little boy, that has a crush on me. You're kind of nice. But then it's weird because you're like, okay, so it doesn't feel like grooming yet. And then in episode two, when he's hot, when he's Hayden Christensen at 19 years old, like, hey, Padme, I am still in love with you because, once again, you're the only (laughs) woman I know. Um, And she's at first she's like, stop. No, stop. Stop. Like, I don't, it makes me uncomfortable. But then she just continues to, so it's weird because you're kind of like, the ethics of this aren't great. And it feels horrible until about halfway through episode two when you give up and you're like, it's sort of a weird middle ground. Cause like, it's not like 13 year, sorry, it's not like 13 year old Padme is like, yeah, this kid, you know what I mean? (laughs) But like, at some point in between, which isn't elaborated on much in the, pre- it really isn't elaborated on much in any of Star Wars, like media, like books and stuff, because I think it's a little complicated to elaborate on. There is some point, there's some point where they gotta be like, she's a senator at 22 from a planet. Okay, sure. But anyway, she's a senator and he's, and he's like just chilling on Coruscant, I guess. And like, what did he like, they bump into each other? Like, it's, it's very odd how they get back together. It's sweet in the end. It's, it's just very weird. The thing that makes it feel okay also that I guess they somewhat did on purpose, but it's also just totally coincidence is the fact that Padme is Natalie Portman as both a young child as a 13-year-old and a 22-year-old. So when Hayden Christensen appears in episode two, you're like, oh, and like Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen are the same age. So, like, it feels okay because they look the same age and they're literally the same age. So I can pretend that the characters are close in age. It's just like when you're watching Aladdin and you don't think about the fact that Jasmine's supposed to be, what, 13, 14? That's Okay, this is a weird thing in media in general. Even in Avatar The Last Airbender, Azula, Ty Lee, they're both 14. Ty Lee is 14? And they... I know. I know. That's the thing. No, good God. Because the thing is, when you're watching as a kid, when I was watching Avatar for the first time as like a seven, eight, nine year old, and I was like, oh my God, Tylee is so hot. Oh my God, she's 14. Wow. Like she's older than me at that point. She's twice my age. So it's normal, right? But then I was like re watching Avatar last year and I was like, it's fucked up that they're 14. Because also, it, okay, for, on one hand, a sexualization aside, but also just, like, we're talking character arcs and stuff like that, like, it makes sense and it makes Azula's story more sad to think that, like, she's just groomed into being this, like, evil little, like, 
I don't know, like henchmen of her father to like play out like his goals of the empire. Like it makes more sense that as a 14 year old, she would be that brainwashed and traumatized by her mother thinking she's a horrible person. But at the same time, it's like, was f- I guess they're all kids, but like, I don't know. Old, I think that's part Zuko? of the reason why Zuko's supposed to be 16 and May is supposed to be 15, I believe. How old's Katara? So, I think she's also like 14, 15. An angle. But then, and then Sokka, no, no, no. Katara's 14. Okay, I think these are the ages. Okay. So Aang and Toph are supposed to be like 12. And then Sokka's 15. Katara is four, Katara's 14 then. And then like Azula and Tylee are 14. May is like 15. Zuko's like 16. That's why I think it makes sense that like Legend of Korra, they age things up because it's like, it makes sense that older teenagers would be on these adventures. Yeah, no, that's if definitely that makes sense. yeah. Well, also, like it would have cost them literally nothing to just make them all a little bit older. Initially, the thing is for the story of Avatar, I don't think it particularly is a problem that they're super young. It's just the fact it's like the way that they drew them, and then also like with some of the stuff, it's like okay, it is a little bit weird as a fandom. I think actually, I think the, way that the, the problem could have been solved. If they just put Avatar on a more reasonable time frame, I was like, listen, there's three seasons, three books, and it takes place over three years, which is not how Avatar works. Yeah. But I'm just saying that would have made it much better, right? Because then you get Aang, he starts off as 12 or 13, he ends up as 15 or 16. Katara, at that point, we're talking 16-year-old likes like an 18-year-old, like, whatever. Like, it, it, you know, you see them grow, too. Because I feel like in the show, you see them grow as if years are passing because they change so much as characters. And even how they're like drawn and whatever changes as the show progresses. But in reality, it's like next week. You know what I mean? Sort of. Yeah. And the thing is, is war does age you like that. Like what the (laughs) events that they're going through (laughs) throughout the, it takes place over like six months, basically. Like they do age, they do, they are forced to mature in the way that they mature. But at the same time, like you said, Legend of Korra has its flaws plot-wise, like, all over the place, mostly because of the way that the actual production of the show is set up, and we could totally get into that, but I... That's not the point of what I'm saying right now. Um, But one thing that they did do that I do like is having it take place over four years, even though for the first three seasons, it all seems to take place within a year and a half or so. Korra starts as 17. She is supposedly turns 18 before book two starts, so then she has like six months for two seasons or whatever and then they have a time skip i do like that there was a time skip because then they the gang sort of ends legend of Korra being like 21 22 Mm -hmm. 23 and i feel like that makes sense for like a big bad battle and also like a cool conclusion for a character i don't know versus like ending his show as a 13 year old well whereas yeah i was just thinking about like as you said because Aang's like what? Wait, was he twelve or thirteen? He starts as like twelve, I think. Okay, and so Katara starts as like fourteen. Yeah. Um, and it's like when you when you think about the years in between, like it doesn't. The age gap is not enormous. Like it's not like jarring per se. But then, it's no Anakin and Padme. Right. But exactly. Yeah. But then you put it into perspective of like, like imagine if this was like. 
a show about just like people in like middle school or high school. It's like, cause then also think about the fact that like Aang would be like an eighth grader and Katara would be like a freshman, sophomore. No, it would be even younger than that. Aang, Aang is a sixth grader, Katara would be an eighth grader. Oh, yeah, see, like that's just like- Yeah, no, that's just oh. good God. <laughs> good I God. Think, I think the one thing that makes it slightly better, and it's tough to say it, but I think it does make it slightly better, is that the whole show is set in sort of like a medieval sort of vibe, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like yeah. just just thinking back to like my recent history when my grandfather my grandmother and my grandfather when they started dating it was 1943 and my grandma was 16 and my grandpa was like 19 right which was considered like a minor age gap at the time but these days the 16 year old like probably pretty Yeah normal. but these days a 16 year old dating a 19 year old is like okay well all right now like hold on even now, it's really embarrassing sometimes really. seeing people being like, my parents met at 19 and 32. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And it's like, you're a victim. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> she's a victim. 19 and 32. What does a 19 year old and a 32 year old have in common? See, that's babe? true. Yeah. With Aang and Katara, at least, or at least structurally, if we're talking about the context of Avatar, even though the age gaps in a modern context would be very odd. In the context of their world, there is nothing that particularly, like, because we're looking at legit, like, years. Like, yes, developmentally, 14 and 12 is worse than if it was 16 and 14 or, like, 16 and 18. And within the context of their world, I think it can definitely, like, slip and slide a little bit more easily than, like, in our personal lives, I guess. Yeah, because I was was thinking about... Because, like, my mom, when she was born, like, fresh out the womb, zero years, my father was already 20 years old. And it's, like, there's, I don't know, sometimes you just hear about gaps like that, and you're, like you said earlier, like, you're a victim. Like, it's just not, like, what is this? Yeah, I guess it, it kind of depends. Like, right now, Florence Pugh is, like, 22 or something, and her boyfriend, like, Zach Braff or whatever, is, like, 44. So, like, they do also have one of those, like, 20-something-year age gaps. But because she is... I mean, I guess when you're, like, 22, that's... 25 is when your brain fully develops. But, like, at the same time, like, she's in an, well into her acting career and is an adult adult. So at the end of the day, I guess it is her discretion. So for that stuff, it's like, yeah, I can't like police your relationship, your adult relationship as a teenager. But like to see, to put that in context, when you're like younger than 20, I think it's definitely like, I'm definitely going to call into question like a larger age gap if you're, if you're like 19, 18. I did not know Florence Pugh was 22. I thought she was like, maybe I'm wrong. I actually am going to Google this so I don't spread misinformation, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure she's like 20 years younger than him. Because what I just realized is like, I'm gonna be like am i stupid she's 25 years old okay Okay, that that makes more sense because i was gonna say like wow 22 is so young and you think about how like graham and i monty not quite will be 22 when we graduate yep which is a lot to think about i'm 18 oh right right okay okay then all of us and all of us hey i turned 18 march 5th Damn, such a fake you're such a fake monkey name. I am absolutely it's just terrible. March uh, I should have said friend. Why am I <laughs> I literally could have been like you're such a fake friend, you forgot my no, brother. I like it. Keep it on the pod. Keep it on the pod. But the first no no, I'm gonna keep that. But like the fact that I said <laughs> you're such a fake montinator. 
if you if you had like fans what would you call them um the graham crackers actually actually you know it's funny i think when i back when i had snapchat i think i had your name saved as graham the cracker for like a bit because yeah. I thought it was very oh, yeah. peak comedy. I spent a summer at a sports camp one time, and it was me and sports camp. It was really, it was quite fun. No, but it was a sports camp, and it was me and every other kid there was from Viz Valley. Every other kid there was from Viz Valley, like the school, and I was the only white kid there. And so everyone be like, "Graham Cracker," and the counselors be like, "You can't call him that, man." They'd be like, "No, no, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. It's his name. He's Graham." It's not a slur. It was so funny. We had a great time with that. Sometimes, sometimes I like as a joke will like call my own mother a cracker, and she'll be like, "You can't say that, Angelina." And I'm like, "Did you forget that you're my mother? Like, I am half white. If we're playing by your rules, like, it is very much not a slur, but like, when people people try to make that argument, and it's like, what are you doing? I mean, yeah, it's like I feel like." your family like you should be able to fully like make fun of them i don't know some people think it's weird to have a family environment where you can't like be mean or yes, make fun of them but i feel like that's totally normal yeah. i saw a TikTok where this this man like his daughter well first of all she was like can i go on a vacation with my boyfriend which i honestly i'd like probably get murdered first before and either of my parents let me especially my well anyway um but then he was like okay well we'll invite his parents over we'll i saw talk this about tiktok it. i like and, that then, guy. and then she said like thank you sir why would you call your father sir now i also call my father sir sometimes why if he's if he's young, yeah, young, can you it. explain it's okay so there's like two ways in which i would call my dad sir the first one is disrespectfully which is the way it's generally used it's like if my dad's like do this, do that, do this, do I'm like, yes, sir, yes, sir, thank you, sir, yes, sir. The second okay, that's is different. like, okay. if he's yelling, yelling, it's like, all right, yes, sir, moving on, okay. But that's just because my dad's a very commanding presence. It's just it's just easier to go there. How tall is your dad? Out of Shorter curiosity. than me. He is five. Okay, that's enough. That's all I need to know. Yeah, he's five. <laughs> that's all I needed to know. So how did you, like... Oh, but I heard height comes from your mother. Is that true? Yeah, it is. My no, because is... my mom is my mom is five four. Guys. Well, I'm wait, but how tall do you have? Like tall grandparents? Because that's where I got mine from. Not on that side. Really? They're all tiny. Hmm. My dad's side is where I have my height from. Huh. If you look at my dad's family, when we go back east, you have my like over six foot cousins. One of them's like a. I don't know his position. He's like a linebacker. He's a tight end. He's really? a tight end there? for the Yale football team. He's huge. Oh, it's like, like your five. He was like just like the. He's perfect. Like, no, no, no. This is the cousin that like I, I don't think he's gonna listen to this, but it would be funny if he did. But um, he's the one who like this is what I heard from my other cousin is that they were just sitting around one time and this cousin was like, you know, I don't think I've ever like had anxiety or been stressed yeah, in any way, and it was like, yeah, like the you're actually when I think about your life. Like, you would be the person who just, based off of all of the, like, factors of the way that you're born and then the what your interests are, like, sports and whatnot, like, there is no reason for you to have any type of stress, which is just, like, kind of amazing. Because I think about, that made me think about my own life, and I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe I should just take, like, one from his book and just, like, stop being stressed. I'll just simply quit, simply quit. the mindset. Just, just put it off. Yeah. Um. 
I didn't know your height comes from your mom. I'm hmm. not confident it does because now I'm thinking about it. Hold on, now I'm thinking about it. One of my good friends, <laughs> one of my good friends is really tall and his dad's really tall and his mom is short, short and her parents are short, I, short. It's like I think it's from the dad. Mom's Japanese and so is her family. But his dad's uh, Jewish, like Lithuanian, very tall and skinny. And he is very tall. And there's no way he got that from his mom's side. I did yeah, I mean, that. everyone in my, my family is tall except for my mom. My brother is now six foot, six one or something. I don't know. It's weird. Like, I'm like tiny. Everyone now, on I my guess. dad's side is like stocky Irish. And everyone on my mom's side is like tall Jewish. And it's a really weird combo. Because the first time I met my dad's side of the family, my my aunt, who I love very much, my aunt goes, she looks at me. She's like five, two, maybe. And she looks at me. She's like, you're taller than me, but I'll always be meaner than you. And then she punched me right in the kidney. She, she didn't hold this back. This is a Jewish relative? No, this is my little Irish Catholic relative. She did bam, right in the kidney. Okay, that makes more it was sense, great. Actually, No, we love her. We love Aunt Kathleen. Shout out to Aunt Kathleen. Uh, Shout out Aunt <laughs> Kathleen. Thank you for all my listeners. <laughs> Uh, honestly it is kind of funny though because like thinking when you upload things you're like i don't know how much i don't i feel like i'm not going to edit this one as much because like i don't want to um but like (laughs) thinking about all the stuff that like i could have said or like we could have said that it's just like not real information like florence Pugh is 22 but it's like (laughs) not harmful untrue like it's just like not true but like in a harmless way like do you think because honestly like i am somebody that is just i am so sure that what i'm saying (laughs) true but it's typically not and so like and for some reason i'm like upset when people are like is that true? I'm like, you don't believe me? And then they prove I'm me like, wrong. Enough. You're supposed to play along for like just the flow and then Google it later. <laughs> I feel like that's the courtesy. Like if someone says something that's harmlessly wrong, I will just let them go the rest of the day thinking that. But if I Google it, I will like text them and be like, by the way, well, yeah, the capital of Arkansas is not that. With me, it's like, because I'm expected, because I have a like a reputation, it's just like the person who knows what stuff is <laughs> yes. going on. When I don't know what stuff's going on, I'm just going to say stuff that sounds roughly right in my head. And I've wow. been called on it like twice. And when it happens, I like talk about random nonsense while Googling the correct answer. And then I'm like, oh, did I say Arkansas? I meant the Philippines. Right. You know? And with you, the thing is, I kind of picked up on that. But I was like, honestly, like, I don't even mind it because like, there, uh, I wish I remember some specific instances, but one, like, I talked to you for, like, the first time in, like, AP World in, like, sophomore year. There were a few instances where you said things where you were, like, oh, like, I heard voices, blah, blah, blah. Like, you're talking about your epigenetic experience. I was, like, I was, like, I'm going to Google that later. Like, does that happen? Like, I was, for like, sure. like there's just, like, some pieces of information that you've said that I'm, like, I feel like I was like, I not that I didn't trust you, but I was just sort of like, I need to know, like, I need to do full, like, I feel like the types of facts you say, sometimes I'm like, I need to do a full, like, research side quest to, like, figure this out. Not thinking you're wrong, but just being like, I need to know more about this without, like, having to entertain the conversation because it's, like, gone elsewhere. The thing is, generally, if I bring it up, I think I know what I'm talking about bare minimum like I'm not gonna be making too much stuff if it's like something that I'm talking about like freely but the thing is especially in like the history classes and stuff people would ask me these questions like I was Google and I was like believe it or not I do not know what happened in South Korea in the year 1912 I'm very sorry people would be like ah so we got you so at that point you just sort of make stuff up 
You're like probably a cold strike. Right. I know there's cold. It's not not like stressful. I feel like I would have like broken down and cried. Like, you know, I I would have been like, hey, I'm not an encyclopedia. Like, were you ever like frustrated? The only times I've been actually frustrated, people ask me questions. It's happened like twice in my life. Because generally, I just like telling people like what I know because like maybe it helps or whatever. The only time I'm actually ever frustrated is sometimes people will ask me literal map questions over text they're like so where is armenia and i'm like above azerbaijan there's turkey there's russia and they're like but where is azerbaijan and i'm like you know if you googled armenia a map would come up of the world showing you armenia like i'm like how do you want me to describe the geographic location when you could google it they expect you to be able to spit out like longitude, like, latitude, like, like I was like above Iran, sort of. And they were like, But is Iran the one by Turkey? And I was like, Why? This brings okay, this is like an interesting, like, broader topic, though, is sort of like how jarring it is to like when you discover what your thing is or like how people perceive you, if that makes sense. Like, I'm sure the first time you realize like, oh God, people just trust my factual history information. Like no matter what, like I kind of like, I'm just expected to know this. Like, it's not, I'm not gonna be like, oh my God, it's a burden. But like, I don't know. It, it, sometimes it happens to me with like information about like pop culture. Like that's my equivalent. I think pop culture or like TV show stuff. I just think I've been told that the way that I deliver what I'm saying sounds like I'm pretty sure about whatever I'm talking about. And so when I realized that like, oh yeah, I obviously don't know every detail about like every celebrity or every social media, but like when people ask me things and I'm like, no, yeah, I'm pretty sure Britney Spears did this in like 2012. Like I do kind of answer in the same way where I'm just kind of speculative, but it's like, oh, like there was expected to be like a specific factual answer there. And it's just kind of like, I mean, I texted you about, or no, this happened in class, but there was just like a pop culture thing that I could not think of. And it was like the word cyber ghetto. Cause I was like writing um, my like mini series and you just like knew. And I was trying so hard. I like asked Masik because I know that Masik has like made fun of this type of girl in which I was writing a character for. Um, mm-hmm. He was like, I really don't know. And I was like, let me ask. But you were like, Monty would know. Yeah. Because usually I can deliver something. For me, I was just surprised that cyber ghetto was the actual right word. But I realized like, I am just kind of particular in that, in, in that, in for that example, in that instance, like, I realize like this definitely comes from my dad or at least I'm gonna blame it on him. He literally has a shirt that says I'm silently correcting your grammar, but I don't like, I'm not like a grammar Nazi when I'm in conversation with people, but I am really picky about word choice. Like, and I realized this also when I was editing my first episode of my podcast, I was like so pissed at myself all these times where I was like, you literally could have just said this, like it would have sounded better. And sometimes I'll realize myself thinking that when I either read someone's writing or like a text they sent or like are talking about something. And it's not even in a like superiority way. It's just in a like, it needs to be right for some reason. And so I'm glad Cyber Ghetto like worked for the character because like when you were just describing what you were trying to say, I don't know why it's just like, I don't know. Because it very much it. is a 
a kind of person that exists and like you would expect yeah well the specific white girl that your monologue is about is the specific type of white girl that would be like oh have like would have a pinterest board named cyber ghetto which isn't like a real thing like it's not the real genre and it's like racist so it's just like you know it fit like way too well in with your bit yeah. I think that going back to what Monty said earlier, the first time that like I realized that was something that people just expected, like they weren't going to ask me if I was actually making this up or not, was in eighth grade, we had this weird assignment where it was like, learn about this historical figure, and then come to the class and the class is going to ask you questions about them, right? And I do not remember who this was. It was some woman who like wrote during the Civil War. And I had two people behind me and their job was also to research them so they could like back you up. And someone was like, what state did she write about, like, that we should invade first during the Civil War? And I had no idea. There was no, just none. I look at them and they have no idea. And I literally said out loud the words, well, she wanted to move southward towards where the Confederacy was. So she started in Virginia, but she was also okay with invading Kentucky, which were the only two border states. And my teacher was like, that's exactly correct. And everyone in the class is like, yes, but it wasn't right. Like, it's not. I still to this day have no idea what she actually wrote about. That's like your backstory. That's your origin story. But it was not Virginia and it was not Kentucky. I just made that up, said it, got an A on the assignment. The teacher said, huh, I never thought about that. And the rest of the class is like, cool. And I was like, oh, so I could just say stuff now. And it's like taking up history wise, math wise, don't trust me at all. I today, today could not add up to 90 because I was doing a project, whatever. And I was like, why is every answer I'm getting wrong? And it's because I did basic addition wrong and got 90 instead of 91. So don't let me near math. But, but like people will just be like, I could be like, yeah, no, I mean, Yemen had a civil war in the 1950s. And people would be like, oh, really? And I'd be like, yeah. I would have just believed that if you had yeah, said no, that in like, your seminar fauna, which is close. I would have been like, that's so true. I need to like research more <laughs> about that. I feel so underprepared to like... That. Honestly, we should never let Graham in the same room as those infographic makers. <laughs> so oh, much yeah. fun. I'd have a great time. That would actually be an amazing game show. It would be Graham <laughs> spitting out information and then like people that are into politics, but like I just the type of person that you were. Honestly, Graham, I would love to see it. Make, like if Graham were to make an infographic and post it, and none of it was true, I could probably count on both of my hands who at our school would post it on their story. You couldn't count on both of your hands. It would be too many. It would be like 60 people. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's actually fair. I've definitely gotten better about, like, like, okay, in the beginning of, like, the infographic era that happened last year, I was definitely, like, just like I'm gonna repost all the stuff that people are reposting because I was like I didn't know that like let me yeah, just repost I it right? I didn't know I was like oh yeah I just thought like this is what you do like I didn't know this so my I'm thousand the, followers the, don't know this either so I'm just gonna share it but then when there was more stuff that I was like hmm if you do any type of critical thinking you would realize that the wording of this is very unhelpful or just flat out untrue so like yeah, in the past, like, eight months, I've tried to, like, only really focus my reposting efforts onto, like, okay, here's, like, mutual aid or, like, actually help these people or, like, here is, like, verified information presented in a way that's appropriate for the context. But I feel like some people, 
like Angelina, you sent me someone's story the other day where it was like, it was like infographic. And then it was like a photo of them, like hanging out with someone. And then it was like, oh, here, donate to these people. And it's like, yes, you can obviously like be a helpful person. And I'm not going to say like reposting that type of information makes you an activist, but like you can repost helpful stuff. That's like current event related and post like normal quote unquote normal content. That's like about yourself. But there's just, I feel like sometimes it's way too clear when it's like, I really want to post about myself. And then it's like, but I feel so bad. Let me like scramble and look for like a very accessible infographic that seems harmless. And then repost that to make sure that everyone knows that I have virtue signal that like, I kind of know what's up. Also, the interesting thing about that is I've noticed every time I like people are just so inclined to trust these like pastel pretty fonts posts like every time I post an infographic nobody asks any questions and it's like you know I I fact check it so like there's no need to but like when I posted the thing yesterday remember the day before all the days are blurring into one when I was like I literally hate France and the French I honestly hate you all so many people were like um okay well well um French people aren't that bad like what do you know about the French like and I was like, how do you not? And then one person like, was like, bitch, I know enough. I know enough. Also, especially when it comes to like, um, just like them being like Islamophobic. Like I know about that specifically. And the fact that a, a man was like, um, I'm glad that they're banning hijabs because we need to liberate women and we need to let them choose. And it's like, that's not giving them a choice. That is literally taking away. What part of banning a religious garment and choice go together yeah no i'm sorry i don't know like what are these people what and do it they was think also because and this circles back to like how am i being perceived um i'd put that in quotes if you're listening but like <laughs> i was thinking about how like a lot of people make it their personality to like be activists and like there are like activists that i look up to but it's like to make that your your niche is like is that not weird I feel like that's a little I think it's weird because being an activist takes time like it's it's a job I guess I mean I don't know I guess you could think of it like it is a the type of hobby or job or passion that you have that like I feel like it's okay to realize that like not everyone should be an activist because there are genuinely people that make it their life's work Mm -hmm. to do that type of education, to like spread that type of education and to organize within their communities and to actually put in the real work to be helpful that I think it's actually kind of like offensive or just at least at the very like least embarrassing to sort of like think of reposting stuff on Instagram like like, as adjacent to activism I really agree with you because just in my experience I can I can count quite literally on one hand the amount of people I see who are overtly activistic on Instagram and nothing and the people who are actually act like the people who are both an actual activist and on Instagram are literally three that I can think of off the top of my head one of my friends like uh, this guy I know from Austin for example would literally know him through like left-wing chats and stuff and he's actually like he does a lot of community organizing and then he's also on Instagram what's his account let's follow oh uh was it Aaron Butu I think um I think I follow him on on TikTok you definitely do yeah he's a super nice uh or they I think they use they them pronouns now they're a super nice guy um 
personally, I've had great conversations with them, but um, they are like one of the only people I can think of who is like sort not our generation, but like they're young and like it's sort of like they do a lot of work on Instagram and then off Instagram. The thing that ticked me off over the summer was I would see a lot of the same infographics and then I would go to protests and see two people, one person, nobody who I saw posting, which I understand people have different circumstances. Some people don't live in the city. Some people have COVID. There's a lot of concerns to like be taken care of. But there was a thing with like people posting infographics and then acting as though like I've just posted an infographic. <laughs> Pretty cool of me. Don't see you posting infographics. It's like you I think the superiority complex is usually the, is the biggest issue. Yeah. Because I think there are people that only post infographics or at least only post information but don't make it out there. Um who don't pretend that like them reposting the bare minimum is activism. And I feel like that is somewhat valid because at the end of the day, you can't expect, I mean, especially for our age group, like teenagers, high schoolers, like you can't expect activism is the type of thing that for it to be really meaningful, you can't expect people to just pick it up out of desperation for wanting to like virtue signal. Like People who do it for that reason are usually doing it wrong because they don't actually care. It's more about like the image oriented things. So I feel like that's why like the sort of, ah, yes, like I'm an activist. I just repost all this stuff. What you're saying about the people that sort of like, you know, put their arms over their shoulders, took their little like layout on their lounge chair and like acted like they were and then like proceeded to shame people for like not posting things like i think that is like a specifically horrible genre of like instagram infographic activists well sometimes i i feel like i'm in this like middle ground and honestly i don't know it's a tricky situation um because like i'm someone who's like very interested in activism and like i like to read a lot about like gender studies and like women's studies and that kind of area um but then sometimes I like catch myself like I don't know do you ever like see yourself succumb to something that's like very obviously like a societal like you're like oh man like I'm I think this is like really affecting me now because I'm like reading a lot of like I don't know like oh god once you get into like women's study stuff then you're like you cannot there's some stuff that I cannot like unsee at all it's just like you're like oh like you know I this summer because this summer like I really you know want to be skinny for example and then you're like okay well that's horrible and you like catch yourself doing this these things and you're like okay that's not very like girl boss of me like I'm not a real like true like feminist and that sort of thing and I don't know. It's like, uh, it's really, it's just a strange feeling. To or, or like finding out that like the male gaze isn't, li- isn't, it's not just about, cause even if you're not like attracted to men, even if you're a lesbian, like everyone is still affected by what the male gaze is. Like we just sort of exist in our bedrooms alone sometimes. And it's like, why do I care if like someone, it's always, it's like something, I don't know who said this or like where I got this from, but like, it's true. It's like, you feel like you're just socialized to always feel watched in some way. And like, even if it's not like a romantic or sexual attraction to men, there's also this like growing up, this need to, for them to be impressed by you and like for them to think you're smart or interesting to feel validated. 
and it that's like just one example of something that like you just kind of learn and then you start like feeling it and seeing it everywhere and you're just like I kind of wish I didn't know this because then I feel like I would be a lot happier and like feminism could just be like oh like I didn't like want to shave my armpits like that would be so simple if that was the only like radical thing you know yeah but it's I don't know I feel like just to stop because I saw this whole thing about the like free the nipple movement and how really you know that isn't truly doing much of anything um and it's like it's really hard to be like a teenager and to like be like firsthand experiencing these things and like seeking validation from men and also knowing that that's wrong and like you know you're like stop it like you you're dumb because a lot of like feminism in like literature is like real feminists don't like the color pink and real feminists don't like to wear dresses and real feminists don't uh don't think boys are cute and I'm like I like all those things and then you're kind of like stuck and you're like okay well do I continue with this thing that I genuinely find interesting and it's like a like I'm very passionate about or am I like oh well I don't fit this like idea of like what a feminist like looks like to these feminist authors I think right just I think as the man let's talk about feminism (laughs) but I think no you're fine I think um, a lot of what you're talking about specifically Angelina with the like well I like wearing dresses and like I like like when I'm painting my nails or whatever and like but like in the books I think a lot of it is important to take into context I'm assuming based on some of the books you told me about the time when these books were written because I've noticed that at least in my own experience a lot of more modern feminist books have more overarching views of like advancing women in society either in parallel to or in concert with men right? And not so much the like rebelling against anything traditionally viewed as womanly. But I think a lot of books written in like the 50s and the 70s go into that sort of route because of how oppressive, act, like actively oppressive and stringent it was for women to not wear dresses and for women to not paint it. Like all that stuff was seen as you're ugly, like you're a bitch, you think you're a man, like yada yada, like all that stuff. And so I think a lot of it in that context was like, we'll embrace the sort of hatred that men were putting at women who wanted to not be because I feel like they sort of women in those time periods sort of felt like to show that they were equal to men they had to throw away the things that made them like womanly in the eyes of men but I don't think that's necessary for women to like toss away things like dresses just because they have historically been used by the patriarchy I don't think it's necessary for them to be discarded fully because like I don't know I mean I've worn a dress like four times pretty fun I'm not gonna lie like I can do our girl (laughs) It's comfortable. It's so comfortable. I mean, I was like, there's wow, airflow. It highlights your curves, it's no matter I, like I what fan. type of body you have. But, but then like, you have to take into consideration this idea. And so Monty and I and Taya were reading the uh, first the script for the first episode of the show Euphoria, and they were really selling this idea. And like the media and a lot of like, um, or not a lot, but like there is like this new kind of like genre of feminism that is like like, you know, reclaiming sexuality, which I understand and makes sense, but they, like, shows like Euphoria and stuff are, like, nudes are the love language of 2020, and it's, like, if you don't want to sell your body on OnlyFans at the ripe age of 18, then you're not liberated, and you should just want to um, sell your- You're a prude, because then it becomes political between, like, 
pitting different types of ways to be a woman in society against each other. And what it also does is that, okay, like we could talk about, you mentioned OnlyFans and then even just sending nudes, like when you commodify your body, it's not liberation in the slightest. Like you can't even pretend like, especially if you're like freshly 18, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do OnlyFans, obviously, if that is the way that you need to make money or the way that you would like to make money, obviously, like I'm pro sex work, but I feel like industries like the porn industry and then also, yeah, just the porn industry mostly. It's like commodifying yourself is not liberating yourself just because you are choosing to send nudes like there is a grander like the patriarchy the greater patriarchy is at play for why you would feel like in order to feel accepted you need to like use your body so it's not the fault of like the women that feel the need to play into that it's more that it's like well you're still playing into the system i feel like i don't know don't go for it keep going Oh, that's all I was going to say. I was going to say, I feel like on the topic of sex work, I feel like there is like a issue acknowledging that like, while simultaneously sex work is legitimate work and should be protected and treated as legitimate work. I think it gets easier when you look at it from sort of like a Marxist or a left wing, a far left lens of analysis. Because what you're looking at at that point is like sex work is work. And just like any other work is exploitation and is commodification Mm -hmm. of your value as a person for money right like when you're doing OnlyFans, when you're doing porn or whatever all that stuff like good for you you know make a living that's perfectly fine but just like other ways of making a living you're still being exploited by the system above you and it's not liberation to still be exploited there's nothing wrong with it and we should get to a point where it's no longer in an exploitory um that's not a word exploitory uh, exploitative like way but it's just that is how it is currently Yeah, I I agree with that, which is why it's like, I would never blame anyone who is in sex work or wants to do OnlyFans for why they would want to do that. Because like you were saying, it is just another form of labor. And it's a form of labor that a lot of women feel comfortable doing because of, I don't know, like whatever reason, but it's still like, it's still labor also at the same time, you know? And let me just say real quick, Fellas, my friend's got a cousin. He does OnlyFans. There aren't many men on OnlyFans. This man makes $20,000 a month. Wow, that's actually like... What type of content? I have no idea. My friend's cousin. I really didn't dig deep. I just know he exists. (laughs) What do you think, Graham, about... Because I know that... Because I'm just wondering this because I've never asked a guy this before, but I feel like a lot... Something that I think about a lot and something that I talk... Um, about a lot with like my girlfriends uh, is that like this um, especially with like porn and OnlyFans and stuff like that and like how the like female body has like there's this new style there's this new like standard for like desire and like what is desirable and stuff and it's sometimes it just feels like it's everywhere and I know that you know not a lot of guys to my knowledge are on OnlyFans comparative to women and so it's like do you ever feel like you have this standard to meet I think that a lot of men do feel like there is a standard to meet but not in the same way I had the female gaze the male gaze explained to me recently not like recently recently but relatively recently very interesting because that that I can say is not a thing that men deal with 
like we're not alone I don't find myself alone and going like I need to like do this differently or that differently or for what for no reason right like if I'm fixing up something about myself alone it's because I turned on my phone and you know snapchat's always on the wrong side of the camera you want it to be and you <laughs> face and your face is like you can't see the people, but it's very, you know, your face is never good when you open it. It's very ugly, guys. Just like, know he just made the ugliest oh, face Jesus. of <laughs> It's just terrible. It's just terrible. You're like, wow, what have I done? But I think there is, uh, it's less of a sexual standard and more of a, ooh, how do, it's in like a sexual way. Like you want women to view you or other men, but you want people to view you as sexually attractive. But like, it's definitely more of a like, I need to like, it's just not really the same, right? Like, it's like, I want, like most guys want to get like stronger. They want to get abs or like, like nicer arms and like do their hair right and stuff like that. But none of it is like, it's less sexualized. It exists, but it's, it's less sexualized, I think. Right. And I was just wondering, like, I feel like with this ever-changing standard of beauty, um, and like Monty, you can answer this too. Cause like, I, I just feel like I am always like trying to reinvent myself and, you know, change something. And I'm like, okay, how can I keep up with whatever this current standard is? Well, at the same time, I'm like, I, you know, I would like to think I'm not that shallow that I care about, you know, keep, keeping mm-hmm. up with the standard and that like, I am self-aware enough to understand that like the reason why I'm doing this is just because I want to like be deemed like acceptable and that, you know, like I, I'm not, I don't want to look this way, like for like a for a male gaze, I don't know, essentially, because like any man that I would want to be with would not be that shallow. So it's like a tricky thing. I don't know. Oh yeah. I think, okay. Maybe this is easier said than done or like easier speaking for me as a lot in a logical headspace right now where I'm not like looking at myself in the mirror, but um, like my body or anything. But something I realized is that at the end of the day, like with like things that are trendy and whatnot, eventually at one point, even if my body isn't trendy, like there is someone or there are people that will be attracted to it. But then every time it's weird because every time I have that thought, I also feel like I have like a meta self-aware moment where I'm like, why do I even care that like people would be attracted to me? It's really weird. And also one thing for me, I don't know if this actually like answers sort of what you were saying or anything like that, but I've, I've always felt overly masculinized in my body. Like first of all, as a tall person and then second of all, as a strong, like tall woman and like with like broad shoulders and like lat muscles and whatnot, like thighs that are like strong like I've always felt super masculine so like when I see like it feels really odd to like growing up like maybe being attracted to someone like a guy for example who's shorter than me and then feeling like oh well that's impossible because on one hand I will feel too masculine to even like be seen with them in like a romantic or sexual context. Like that's embarrassing for me. I look stupid, but then at the same time, oh, they would never go after me because they would feel emasculated being next to me. So it would never work because I 
am in fear of like emasculating a man that I'm next to. So then it's like, when I notice that my waist curves in a way where I'm like, oh my God, it looks like I have hips or it looks like I kind of have something that maybe is close to what the hourglass that people want is. I have a moment where I'm like excited because I'm like, that's feminine. Like, this is a feminine thing about me that I can hold on to. And then I'm like, that's pathetic. Like it, when you say it out loud, you're like, yeah. I'm holding on to something that like shouldn't even matter. But at the same time, it it kind of does at the end of the day or basically just like have like a back and forth where I'll experience myself succumbing to the standards or whatnot, being insecure by it. And then I'm like, ew, it's so weird that I care. But I'm pretty sure most people can relate to that, you know? I feel like, no, I thought, no, it was a lot of good stuff. I loved it. I loved hearing it. I feel like I sort of lucked out currently because the market is quite hot for skinny white boys. White boys summer, It's your time. Graham, Monty and I were like, if Graham got on TikTok. <laughs> no, yeah, because also you're smart. So like if you were making targeted leftist content, I think the new Ilya, Ilya left, Ilya left TikTok. I think Ilya left TikTok. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's because the political TikTok scene is kind of in shambles, at least for Ilya's demographic of like the white boys. Cause like, I feel like a few of them had like, I don't know if they were allegations that were that serious, but like there was some drama that went down. So then like, I don't know, they all kind of just went down. Well, but also it also stems from the fact that a lot of them, whereas Graham is a little, he differs a little, they came from like this weird place where it's become like normalized for like white boys to like have a little like racist phase or like a or like a conservative phase and then like because they like glowed up and you know got on social media and are, are now like preaching like leftist like um theory and stuff that everyone's like Oh my God, good for you, King. We love you. We love you for that. Graham, we think that there's a market for you on TikTok. But what are you <laughs> saying? You're about to get into, you're about to get into. Yeah, yeah. Well, hold on. I want to do that one real quick. Okay. It is definitely very normalized that there's like a whole thing of like, every white boy at some point was a little fascist. Come on now. <laughs> and it's also, they, that's tied into that's not into like men in general too, which I will say as some, I understand to an extent, I was able to dodge that because let me just tell you the alt-right pipeline takes you about two videos in before the first captions, like, did the Jews do this? And you're like, hold on, hold on, wait a second. But like, uh, I'm Jewish and my family's like, I come from a racially integrated family, like my, so it's very, that stuff doesn't really work for like the whole like alt-right pipeline. But I will say, I know for a lot of, boys especially boys well not just boys in general the in like my age group and stuff being like a 13 year old online in 2016 as a boy was like one of four videos it was either like a ben shapiro video a feminist yelling video um something about like minecraft and the next video would be like why the aryan race is better for some reason this was when youtube really had some issues or like a documentary on Al-Qaeda. Now I was one of the kids who watched the Al-Qaeda documentary, but I know people definitely who definitely went down that whole thing. But there is definitely a new trend on the left of like, he came out of the alt-right pipeline. Let's hear him talk about how much he now loves minorities. And it's like, well, now hold on. Wasn't he a Nazi a year ago? Let's let's hold on. Yeah. Not even a year ago, some of these people get on TikTok a week out of the 
like well, like right pipeline like hey i just learned there's okay like, i'd love to talk about this for a second graham there's this tiktoker that goes by the name of polo boy and he used to be like this like one of the boys sure, do you sure. know what i mean yeah boy would just like just absolutely treat women like yeah. objects and like his humor was just you know all about that and so recently he's kind of rebranded himself he put on he's got hot la friends yeah he got hot la friends which i like i truly despise that's in quotes by the way they're not that but like just white dudes guys white dudes um and he put on a little bit of eyeliner and he's like i women i respect them where's my crown he made a tiktok that was like uh god can i pull it do you know what it is monty i'm gonna pull it Oh, i have didn't i is this the one that i do edit and started laughing at okay okay exactly maybe maybe i'll play it i guess i can play it okay let's look this up let me go to the original video okay here i'll pause so i'll just show it on the screen for graham and this will be in the podcast but it's okay motherfuckers be like how'd you know i was pro-choice the same motherfuckers and it's just it's just boys stunting it's okay i the duet i i had of me laughing i made the caption not even hating but are we hashtag thirst trapping for feminism now because i was kind of hoping that if they saw it for some reason or if anyone that was a man on this app with any type of platform saw it they would start using the hashtag so then we could start the thirst trapping for feminism nice, nice. there is definitely a like i think what it is is a realization i think some of it is legitimate growth for certain people but i think the broader trend not them. the broader <laughs> trend is a realization of like the place where most women are at right now especially like where a lot of women are at right now is like, if we're being honest, pretty much barely center left, right? So I'm not saying like they're on, they're like properly on the left. I know so many girls who are like very economically conservative for their like social liberal views. But like you really, I think for a lot of these guys, you're really not gonna get any if all you talk about is like how much women should be kept in the kitchen and that stuff. Like, it's just not that acceptable anymore to, like, date someone with those sort of political views in most of cities, at least. Time to be a fan of abortion so that I could get some pussy. Exactly, exactly. But it's like, see, I think women exactly should have basic human is. rights and decency and also get this. I have more than one Black friend and think they maybe shouldn't be shot. Maybe, maybe shouldn't be shot. Come on, like... It's definitely the fact that their whole friend group, the fact that their whole friend group is just like skinny white dudes that kind of look similar to each other is also just kind of funny because it's not to say that there should be any type of forced diversity in your friend group because that's almost weirder in most cases. But like, it's just funny because it, all of them blew up separately in their own homes over the past year, just staring at themselves and like lip syncing over sounds. But now that they've been linking up for the past like month or so, all of their videos have this same like very odd energy where you're like, what is wrong with this? Like there's something wrong with this energy. The part that makes me literally despise TikTok is that these people have platforms they, and like, who do you think gave them the platforms? Like the people, like let them have this. But like part of me, I'm part of it. Like half of that friend group I follow. I follow the guy that looks like Timothy sure. Chalamet. I follow Baron Show, the dancer guy. I've, I've seen every single one of his dance videos. And I will tell you, I think he was a better TikToker when he was dancing in his bathroom in Texas, not gonna lie. No hate Baron, but. On the topic of like 
these guys all blowing up independently and like this stuff. I'm a little concerned, but not all that concerned, but like interested to see how everything plays out. Cause on the one hand, I think that a lot of like the worst cringy stuff that you see online and like in regards, especially to political stuff is legitimately just because people posting shit are like between the ages of 13 and 22, which are maybe not your most formative, like educated take. <laughs> I saw one take, I was like, why is this the argument? People were like, what was it? It was like, uh, it was someone who's mad at AOC for a variety of reasons, uh, like on the left. And I was like, there's some legitimate criticisms AOC to be made, no politicians about criticism, but these, these were a little out there. And anyway, they're like, but is it any surprise when she's dating a white guy? And it's like, cause AOC's I think engaged now to some white dude. And I was like, since when are we anti-race mixing now? I was like, what yeah. is happening? No, it's weird. Some things, I feel like things have gotten so like, I don't know, people like to pander so much now that they're like, oh my God, like, I can't believe you have white friends. Like two like people of color on TikTok. Like there's this one um, girl who has like a fairly big platform. Um, her name is Jackie. I forget what her um, username is, but she's black, but she lives in North Dakota. So there's mostly white people there. So most of her friends and her videos are just white people. And some of the comments are really weird. Like it's very like people like to overstep and be like, did they pay you reparations? I literally there was a comment she responded to that was like, oh I bet they paid you reparations before this. Like do you guys not think that this is weird at this point? There's definitely some weird stuff. And I think a lot of it is like the acknowledgement that on the one hand it's important for people of color, in my opinion at least, to have people other people of color around them growing up to serve to, for friends and role models and stuff and people who can understand those experiences while also being like, not all black people should be friends with only black people and not all white people should only be friends with black people. And like, not all like- Common knowledge from literally the entire past of- It is just United common knowledge, but these, it, but like sometimes people, I think well-meaning people, well-intentioned people do stuff that ends up in this weird, like, like for example, the AOC thing, they're also talking about Ilhan Omar, who's, current husband is also white um and they were like see it's a trend and i was like guys they liked each other and then they got married i'm like why is i was like i was like why is this why is this such an issue they liked each other and they got married like that that's a good thing we should all be fine with that yeah definitely also i did have my bit about like how you wrote stand you had to write stand up angelina i was just curious oh about that. yeah so that was like surprisingly difficult something that i've noticed which i don't know if you guys like follow comedy the comedy scene but a lot of women just like stand-up comedians like just talk about it's kind of like how we were talking before about like feminism being like yas sex is great per and it's like that's mm -hmm. it and you know it's like fine but it's like just a bunch of white women like you know, and so when you like look look things up for inspiration, you're like, okay, what should I like talk about? Um, I was like really struggling because it's like all white girls and there's hardly any like women of color who do stand up. There's some really good ones, but like a bunch of them are just white women and they just kind of talk about how like they went on a Tinder date, but then a bunch of men who do stand up are just like, yeah, just like listen to me be like really terrible to women and a slightly 
Even the white women have very, like, questionable, like, even the white women with the most platforms, like, or not most platforms, biggest platform, like, Amy Schumer has some extremely racist content, and, like, a lot of stuff that, like, white women end up talking about ends up being kind of, like, especially because a lot of white women that get into comedy, kind of like the white men that are into comedy, um, are, like, in a position in society where, like, their content is almost, like, not really relatable. Even to me, like, there are some things that I hear where I'm like, okay, I can see why this would be relatable to me, maybe, but, like, I feel like there's just quite a lot of, like, bases or, like, moments in your in your set where I was like, I feel like that's, I wouldn't have said that joke. Like, I don't know. It just feels, like, weird. Just me personally, I generally like two types of comics, and I think it's a very weird type of preference of comics, but I generally like either Black comics or Hick comics, like, one of the two. Like, they're either Black or they're from, like, rural Iowa, and they're telling jokes that are cracking me up, and I do not know why that is, but it's just... I feel like Hicks, like, Rednecks just always have some sort of fuck shit going on. Like, they always... Well, the like funny part is your is also bad like the thing about hicks though is that they're also not usually they're not in a financial situation where if they like their joke setup is never going to be like so is that like seventh street in soho like it's never going to be into that territory where it's like i can't even get into your story because <laughs> i'm just like there's no situation where i could relate to this I whereas think- hicks even if it's insane like you're like i feel like that almost brings me more down to earth i think also like as a white boy with like family from like my dad spent a lot of his time growing up in tennessee and like most of my family is from somewhere in either the midwest or the rural like midwest and south a lot of their jokes are like relatable to me in that i have weird stories like that from my own family whenever a joke starts with some weird shit like my grandpa's out by the tractor and there's a possum in the in the like all this it's always going to be i feel like it's interesting though because that was such a non sequitur in my head. I apologize, audience. But anyway, I think it's interesting because I feel like you're less likely to get racially insensitive content the thicker the accent they have, which I feel like is not what you would think generally. If you're watching like Comedy Central and you hear someone with like a deep redneck accent going on there, I'm le- I feel less likely to hear some like weirdly racist joke about like brown women than I am watching like some white dude talk, like some like city white Who guy Who thinks talk. that woke. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Also, I feel like young gay people are also great comics because they have these sort of stories that are also, like, for a lot of people, relatable, but go sort of untold. Like, it's like, oh, like, that's kind of universal for their community in a way that is funny to people that don't relate in a way that doesn't ostracize them. Whereas I feel like when you're getting into the territory of, like, if you hear only Jerry Seinfeld and Louis C.K.'s, for long enough you just kind of feel like either you're not funny enough because you can't really relate to the way that they tell jokes or the way that their lives are set up but that it's just sort of like where there's nothing to really engage with that's different or relatable I don't know yeah I agree I was gonna ask later but like I can't like it's been on my mind since the literal moment we started Graham what were you drinking because I really want it from Pete oh this same drink I get every time it's a venti mocha frappuccino. Uh, you can get any sort. It's delicious. Write that down, Pod. Write that delicious. down. Delicious. Everyone who knows me at Soda has seen me drink one. But it's it Starbucks. The Pete's cup so really threw money. me off. What'd you the say? Pete's cup really threw me off. The fact that. Yeah, this, this from Pete's, it's called a large oh, mocha Javiva. Oh. 
Are you a Pete's man or a Starbucks man for the people? Uh, I enjoy Starbucks. However, I have a little inclination towards Pete's because A, my dad goes there all the time. And B, my dad's friend, she actually founded the first Pete's oh. um, before she sold the franchise after literally two stores were open for quite the profit. Like she did fine off that. But like, it's not like we get anything special because she's not, since she literally founded the first one, she's not even considered like the founder of the co corporation or whatever. But like the coffee called Pete's Coffee in like this area was, that was her first coffee place. Okay. Cool. cool. <laughs> I feel, okay, because I was figuring like, I'm going to have to wrap things up, but like there's been no opportunity where I'm like, we hit all the bases. That has like, like, you know, so. We did. I think that's a good sign though. I feel like that's a good sign because I'm gonna be honest, when I checked my phone and it was literally 617, I was like, it's 617. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Often Wrong, Never in Doubt. Thank you to Angelina and Graham for making my second episode a party. And thank you to all of my returning listeners. I hope you tune in next time.